I see that you're from the same part of America that I am when I lie to Netflix that I'm from America. Because uh, I use Netflix and I use this service that basically convinces this uh, Netflix that I'm from America, but I didn't need to put the uh, the area code in when I signed up. And I, of course, use 90210, which is, you know, Beverly Hills, which is the only uh, sort of area code I know, like, by heart in America. Which, you know, the 90s were good to me, I think. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, uh, I I never liked that show. Uh, my sister did, and of course everybody knows the the zip code. I'm not actually I'm not actually in that zip code. Um, yeah, so I I always tell everybody I'm not in the good one. <laughs> what, what does that mean? Like exactly? Oh, there's just other zip codes in the city proper, and so like if you say that you're from Beverly Hills, everybody's like, oh, it's so fancy, and it's like, no, actually I'm from the the i guess the wrong side of the tracks or something like i don't know it is it's not it's not the the fanciest part well, yeah I but guess. you just made it sound like you live like in, like in the wire like in the wire basically like baltimore <laughs> like yes. okay well yeah okay that's a good analogy i was not aware of that but yeah so uh i don't know i think we started with you know a 90s teeny bobber show which you know i talked to malls about matlock so this sort of makes sense i guess but uh, I always have this first question, which is, who are you and what do you do? <laughs> I, I'm, I'm Joseph Rosensteel, I, I, also known as Joe Steele on some things. And uh, I do things that people wouldn't know me for, but uh, which, which would be uh, visual effects for uh, film. Um, and, and then the things that people might know of me for, if they're listening to this, would be for internet things of like uh the terrible podcast screenplays or for the podcast defocused uh or just constantly bothering um other podcasters uh <laughs> and, and so i mean that that would be it i think well okay yeah the bothering part i guess that's depends on who you ask like i your favorites are like one of my favorite things on my english twitter account so you know <laughs> uh, I wouldn't call that bothering people, I guess. Yeah, well, I don't think the favorites bother anyone. Um, <laughs> but the, uh, well, at least I hope not. I mean, I still wonder if someone has followed me and then they're they're just constantly confused by uh, the new Twitter feature where they're like scrolling up to the top and they see like a favorite, Joe Steele favorited this <laughs> random thing that won't make any sense to you. Um because I'm, I'm not as selective, probably, as Twitter would like me to be. <laughs> well, yeah, you basically favorite everything, right? Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, well, <laughs> pretty close, I guess. So, okay. Yeah. Okay, enough. so before we get to, to your show, which I like, and uh, the screenplays and stuff, I do want to talk about your work. Because, like, I saw that, I don't know, what, what do you call that? That portfolio thing you have on your site? What it's basically... Yeah, it's a it's called a demo okay. reel. Um, but it's, it's basically... Uh, it's not on a reel of anything because it's a digital, but uh, it's, it's an old term. Um, it's a, a bunch of clips of things I've worked on mashed together one after the other um, for a small portion of time. Usually it's between, you know, a minute or three minutes. Uh, shorter the better. Um, and it's supposed to showcase what it is that you do and you use it for applying to work at other places, uh, so that they can quickly judge, uh, what it is about you that you do. Cause you, you can't send them like, Oh, I worked on this 
marketing campaign or I have, have all of this experience with Excel or something like that, that would not uh, demonstrate what it is that you do very well. So that, that's why they call it a demo. Okay, so when you say like special effects, what exactly do you do? Uh, well, not to not to get nitpicky, uh, special effects these days generally refers to like on-set explosions, pyrotechnics, and stuff like that. Um, and uh, visual effects is what they use for when they're talking about uh, digital stuff. I'm, I mean, I'm not gonna like I said, I'm not gonna nitpick, but I, I just want to say, just in case somebody is listening and nitpicking, um, the uh, which you know somebody is right. <laughs> of course, someone's always nitpicking. It's yeah. the internet, uh, but the for visual effects, uh, what I specifically work on is a part called lighting and compositing. They're two separate tasks, but sometimes they can be put together. Um, and uh, what that involves is you take whatever it is, the the computer-generated assets, the models or um, animated characters, whatever, they don't have any lighting attributes or anything on them. And so you throw lights and uh, shadering stuff at it, and then it's a pretty picture. And then you take those pretty pictures and you put it together with other pretty pictures, uh, which is compositing. And then that that's the part of the, the movie that I do. Um, and that can either be... Uh, I've worked on mostly projects where I'm doing both, but sometimes I work on projects where I do one or the other. Um, so sometimes I'm just doing lighting and handing it off to another compositor to put together or i'm uh on only one other occasion i was i was the sole compositor for uh receiving things that other people had put together uh other lighters had put together um okay so just okay just so people know like what are some of the movies you've worked on oh uh uh, most recently it was amazing spider-man 2 um then it was the first Amazing Spider-Man. I've worked, but I, I've also worked on like Smurfs and Smurfs too. <laughs> I saw uh, that. Yeah, it was awesome. Yeah, which depending on where you are in Europe, I think it's the Strumps um, instead of Smurfs. Um, oh, it's Smurfs in Slovenia. We have our own word. Uh, yeah, but I think the, wow, yeah, we you, translated it from Smurfs. So yeah, yeah, because I think I think it's Strumps in the uh, in the original Belgium. Uh, creator's view um, and then it was called Smurfs for some reason uh, and I don't know if that was when it came to America or what, I don't know the history anyway, so I worked on, on that and then uh, I've worked on things like Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs 2 um, but not the first one, which a lot of people like better than the second one, and then uh, like Watchmen and Wait, what? Um, you worked on Watchmen? D- yes. Doing like the, the line, okay, I, I understand what you were doing, but like which parts, I guess, is what I'm asking. Oh, um, wait, wait, you I worked did, on uh, Watchmen? Uh, what? I did not know that. Was that in the real? Do you have a? Yeah, seriously, it was, it was one of the one of the blue guys, not the one with the white. Okay, hat. well, yeah, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but okay, honestly, like I watched that reel about like two weeks ago when I researched you, um, but like, okay, I did, I, I remember the Smurfs. Honestly, that's the, the, the thing that stood out. I seriously, I must have blocked out the Watchman. Jesus, that's so cool. Okay, sorry, yeah, just explain what you did on the Watchman. It's awesome. Oh, um, well, I can't get into any technical details about any of this because of uh, NDA stuff, but I can tell you the things that I worked on, which you can see in the reel, which are, um, uh, there's the scene where uh, Dr. Manhattan blows up the mobsters in a, in a montage of when he was a crime fighter, um, and yeah. I did the lighting for that 
and uh, another uh, guy I was working with did the compositing. And then I did another one where he, uh, well, this is kind of a spoiler. Let's just say somebody else might blow up at some other time in the movie. Um, <laughs> and I did the lighting and compositing for that shot. Uh, and then there were uh, shots in the aftermath of destruction when Dr. Manhattan is standing around uh, chit-chatting. Um, and I did those. Uh, and uh, some of some of the other things in there, he mainly he mainly stands around and talks a lot. Um, not not <laughs> that a lot. That is of, true. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, other than the two shots I have of him blowing up people, I think I think he's mainly just standing and talking. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So how how exactly does that work? Because you like the way you explain it is you just do certain shots, right? Just certain scenes you get to do. So how many people actually are involved with just the lighting and compositing of an entire movie, like, say, a Watchmen-type movie, where there is actual camera where it's not all CGI, right? So, But there's, like, more of you? Like, what's the number? That's actually what I'm asking. Uh, I couldn't give you a specific number. Um, I would say hundreds. Um, and uh, But probably slightly over 100 for specifically lighting, I guess. Um on something like that i it just it, it's uh i don't remember exactly what the numbers were to begin with but i, I don't even think i'm supposed to say what they would have been uh but the on a movie like that you have tons of people working on it and everybody gets a bit of the pipeline um which is like part of making the cg stuff for it and because it's a live action film uh with computer generated elements in it uh then of course, most of the movie isn't computer generated, and that's all shot. Um, and then things are added in, um, and there's other things that are in there, like set extensions, uh, things that aren't characters. Um, uh, you know, green screens and stuff like that uh, are, are also in in there, where there are, where there isn't any actual computer generated stuff. It's just other images. Okay, I had no idea I did that many people, honestly. Like, is uh, that, how, how time-consuming is stuff like that? Like, I imagine it is time-consuming. I just always figured it'd be a couple of people doing it, and then, like, the rendering would happen. But I guess I'm wrong, or? Oh, uh, well, I mean, it depends on what it is, the scope of the project, um, when the project had happened. Because in the early days, I think I heard, I think I read somewhere um, on on a movie like Starship Troopers, like, they would just set up something hit render and then leave for the day because it would take forever to actually yeah. render the stuff and then they come back and see if it was good or not the next day and then render again um but i, I don't know if that's apocryphal or not um the uh uh it certainly never was like that when i was doing things uh it can take a very long time to render some assets uh e even today um you know a lot of people think like well the technology has come so far like uh these big server uh, uh, you know, Xeon insta uh, chip installation stuff, like all, all this stuff, like huge amounts of data processing are happening. Um, so it must just automatically mean that it takes less time to do things. And that is not the case because uh, you can always find more ways to increase what you're doing um, and uh, make it consume those extra resources. Uh, so, you know, like on your computer, uh, your operating system, like you don't need all the fancy bells and whistles that are going on on it but like they're there now and that also bumps up your system requirements so it couldn't run on something else it's like well if you think about what it is your computer is actually doing like connecting to the internet it's like well you could have done that in 1994 um, yeah. 
yeah and so with uh with much lower system requirements so it, of course it's just you know you always add in more on the software like uh right now there's a lot of uh emphasis on uh more physically based realistic lighting um so that consumes a lot of render power and that you know depending on where you are what software is being used will be different but that basically amounts to like uh global illumination like rays that are actually getting traced hitting surfaces um and calculating their effect on other surfaces their influence uh as opposed to th- where the way they used to do things where um you would render things that have these shadow maps and stuff and it's more like uh it's more like a fancy video game in that sense because you're building all of these um cheats to do things uh faster um then oh yeah okay yeah uh like like what i was saying with the shadows and stuff like that that was probably like the biggest example of something that's much better with a physically based solution because uh if you've just got a what a shadow map is is like a render from your light of your character and then that says i'm gonna block this area behind the character and so that doesn't always line up and you'd have like shadow bias and other things you'd have to dial and like to make soft shadows and all, all this other stuff that you'd have to actually have an artist do artistically like cheat in um as opposed to just getting for free from the renderer um so th- that that's something so how like how does it when you know you're gonna work on okay let's say the smurfs i guess like how how much of the movie do you actually get to see? Do you just get to see your part before it's even done? Or, like, how, how does that process work? Like, how do you get assigned your shot, basically? Because, like, I imagine if it's that many people, right, That the, yeah. like, the production must be crazy. Like, to organize all of that must be insane. So I'm just wondering what it looks like from your point of view. Just to sit in a room and you get a hard drive with something on it, or how does that work? Like Again, to be very general about it, uh, in, the, in the most general way possible, uh, the <laughs> there's an art side of the process and there is a production side of the process and the two go hand in hand uh the artists are doing all of the work uh to make the stuff that goes in the film but production manages what the artists are doing um and manage you know sets goals tracks progress on things um and communicates with supervisors and producers about where things are what milestones have been hit what you know weekly quota might be hit for shots or something like that um all that stuff is handled by the production side and it sort of is kind of like a a, there's basically like two trees if you think about it at the bottom you have your artist uh and above him um, you have your your first supervisor, and then that supervisor works with a coordinator, and that coordinator manages what the artists are doing on the team and keeps track of things. And they report to that supervisor's, the parallel person in the production side. Um, and so these two parallel chains of command are operating, um, where the production side is monitoring what the, the artists are doing, and they can also be used. So if I can say, like, oh, well... Uh, I'm not going to be able to, to be into the office until such and such a time because I have a dentist appointment or something like that. That you talk to your producers about managing that, or like I have vacation time, set this aside, and they would manage where that is in the schedule. And your artist supervisor is not tracking that information. He, he doesn't really care about that part um, because it's just about making whatever it is you're making. Yeah. Did that did that answer the question? I yeah, guess? yeah, I, yeah, okay. yeah. I guess I get it. Yeah, because the, the I guess the separation is pretty necessary, but like at some point it must complicate things, or like it actually works out smoothly. 
uh, it can most work out, of the time, I guess. It, it can work out smoothly. I mean, um, it can just like with any job, it, the the role will depend on the person in it, um, and also the information provided to them by the people above them um, and below them. Uh, so it's. It, it's definitely a unique experience when you're going from film to film, because uh, I guess this is also something else that's not clear, is that instead of it looking like one company, like it is on the outside, you have the people that you see in the credits are working on it. And then if you look at all the other films that are released that year that um, a company worked on, you'll see different names listed in those credits for supervisor and production roles. And that's because there's different groups of people inside the company working on it. So like and, every movie is like a tiny company within the... Like yeah, sort of. It, it's yeah. it's a that's a rough analogy for it. Basically, is like okay. and and it sort of runs for the length of the project and it ends. And then those that production team and supervisors they can go on and do like the sequel, or they might go on and do another project together, or they might split apart. And some people will go work with these other people that ended a different project, and then some of those other people will go and work on something else. So like the supervisors might work with a different production team. And the producers might go work with a different supervisor, um, and it might vary depending on what the needs are in the in the production schedule for the whole facility of like how many movies are coming through that year. Yeah, so you worked for Sony, right? For Sony Pictures, if that's or yeah, um, it's a division. Uh, it, it's it's confusing to explain, but it's not <laughs> yeah. it, I, like I don't I don't directly report to the same Sony that you get. A PlayStation from um, there, there's, a, <laughs> yeah. there's a chain of command uh, there as well where it's underneath uh, Sony Sony Pictures Imageworks was the visual effects company I was working for from 2005 until this past year and they were based in Culver City, California and they report to Sony Pictures which is based in Culver City, California and they report to Sony Corporate um, and Sony Pictures actually handles the movie making part um, where they make, you know, Spider-Man, RoboCop, etc. They they make anything with the Columbia Pictures yeah. name on it. But not all of the effects will necessarily go to or be done by Sony Pictures Imageworks, the subdivision of Sony Sony Pictures. Sometimes that'll go to another company or facility. What, why? Like what I don't get that. Like they, that's their subdivision. <laughs> I don't Yeah, well, it, <laughs> I I can't I, Mm, let's see how can i say this uh they with movie making for visual effects what happens is you have uh whatever the movie is let's you know say that there's going to be a movie based on relay fm or something and so that movie (laughs) is going to uh be handled by a production team and those producers for uh will work with whatever studio they're working with like Paramount or Sony or uh, Disney or what, what, what have you. Magnolia Pictures, maybe, um, a smaller one. And they'll work with a place like that, and then they shop around the effects work to other effects houses. They say, hey, uh, give me a bid for doing these shots on this movie. Um, and it'll Jesus, be like, that's like, yeah, okay, that's, okay, sorry, go on. That's just... <laughs> No, I, that makes no sense, but go on. <laughs> yeah, um, it's not a perfect system because there's a lot of ways in which uh, it kind of breaks. Because you're basically saying, we have X number of shots. Tell us how much it's going to cost. And then when to, it goes to, to the these. lowest bidder, basically. Like, 
Well, they they will consider whether or not they think that a facility can actually accomplish it um, to a degree. Oh, uh, well, yeah, that's, yeah. well, yeah, okay. Yeah, I mean, but it's, you know, sometimes a facility might be ruled out because, oh, well, they didn't work well for us on a previous project or something like that. Like, they weren't able, and that mostly has to do with whether or not they met the bids, they met the bid that they had put in, sometimes with artistic stuff, but mostly with bidding. Most of this is about money. Um, that's <clears> such <throat> an American thing. Like, you have your own, like, that's such an, seriously, dude, that's just so American. Like, even the stuff you're supposed to do yourself, like, you're just going to contract it out to the, like, and then have, like, six companies fight for the business. That's just, okay, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I shouldn't be surprised by that. I sort of am, but yeah. It's expensive to have a visual effects company for, like, which is why almost none of the studios have their own visual effects company. Some have started them and closed them over the years. Um, and it, like, usually they'll start it, they'll do a few things and then they'll say, Oh, this costs a lot of money. Let's just close it. <laughs> Cause, uh, they, they are expensive to run, especially if you need to start one from the ground up. Um, uh, cause you need to hire on talent and, uh, you need to hire on production talent. So people, produ producers that can actually manage people and produce things, um, and supervisors that can actually supervise the creation of the art that you want that will make your director happy. And that's why it's hard to have an in-house one. And also a director might not want to work with an in-house one because they might, they might see that as sort of a, a requirement on them that's limiting their artistic potential. I don't know. Um, oh, okay. But, yeah, I, oh, but yeah. it, it is 99% money stuff. Uh, that, that's, that's why it happens is, is like, cause that way they can make someone else take on the cost of running that facility, especially since when you think about it, the post-production on a movie is going to go maybe six months to a year, maybe year and a half, but that's very unusual these days. Usually production schedules are getting much shorter. So you got uh, a production schedule of like six months to a year on something. Well, what are you going to do with all those people you just hired um, for the rest of the year? And you can't just, it is not convenient to always build up a visual effects studio from nothing like every time you want to do a movie. Uh, so that's why they're the visual effects companies that are separate from the studios in most cases and bidding goes to them and they try to fill up their calendar with these bids. Um, so ILM will put in bids on doing stuff, even though ILM is now owned by Disney. Yeah, because um, it's sold like the Lucas basically sold everything, right? ILM included. Right? Yeah, he's, he sold yeah. Lucasfilm, which was the parent company of ILM. ILM, and, yeah. yeah. And uh, even though ILM is owned by Disney now, the Marvel movies have had a lot of work done by a motion picture company uh, called MPC uh, as their visual effects studio. And like by... Yeah, it, it, so it, like you see, it's mostly it's mostly like bidding stuff. Um, That's insane, and it's ILM. It's not like like some guys in a garage, right? And they basically build half the tools you guys use. Like that makes no sense to me. Yeah, well, like I, I I haven't paid attention, right? I've seen most of the Marvel films, but like I just I'd imagine it was ILM. Like I wouldn't even think there'd be another company doing that. Yeah, like that well, wouldn't even enter my mind. Like, see, well, no, seriously, that's, that's fascinating to me to talk to somebody that's like in that, you know, soup over there that makes movies called Hollywood, I guess. But that's just weird, man. Okay, sorry. Oh, no, it's okay. I, and I'm not a. Oh, just to be clear, uh, I don't know if you were just saying soup because I'm a soup because I'm not a soup at all. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> no, just, I, just to clear actually, that up. <laughs> no, that's. <laughs> that's uh, the. Uh, <laughs> 
<laughs> that, that was a, that's an unfortunate translation on my part. Okay. We have this saying, it's an actual soup that you eat, which is made out of, ah, oh, whatever. It's, it's going to be tortured if I oh. try to explain that. Okay, yeah, yeah we, we usually use soup to mean a, a shortened version of supervisor. Um, yeah, yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it occurred to me the minute I said it, but yeah, it's yeah. a weird, yeah. It's like, so I just, just wanted to clear that up. <laughs> that I, don't, I don't run anything. <laughs> Honestly, that has to be in the title somehow. Like, I have to use soup in the title now. <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, okay so how did you get into that work because i mean like sorry uh, like you're talking to a guy in slovenia where uh like we don't really have big budget films made like actual stuff that uses cgi like that might be some cgi i'm not that aware of it and you worked on watchman that just blew my mind like that's cool you do know that right or have you just been jaded by the system and do not care anymore no i i Honestly, Watchmen is my favorite thing I've ever worked on. Um, but it kind of disheartens me that it was so many years ago. Um, but uh, <laughs> but but it but it, it, it's it's definitely um, uh, holds a special place uh, for me because I was able to do uh, a lot on that, and uh, I really thought I grew as an artist on it, and it was a lot of fun. Um, it was uh, a lot of effort, and it was very challenging. But it really, I think, paid off in the end. Uh, not a lot of people have seen or liked it. So it's not always a crowd pleaser when they ask what my favorite thing is. And I'm like, oh, it's Watchmen. Because most of the people would be more familiar with... The Smurfs. Uh, yeah, that's always a crowd pleaser. <laughs> Which is kind of... It's actually kind of funny. With Smurfs, Watchmen, and Amazing Spider-Man 2, I've worked on a lot of blue people. Yeah, I was, go- I was, gonna, I was not going to mention that. Cause, <laughs> okay, I imagine... Yeah, okay, sorry, go on. <laughs> like, no, it, it's just... It's always it's always amusing to me because um, <laughs> it, it's just a lot of blue people. Uh, but with stuff that gets made in other countries, uh, it definitely is a situation where they have much lower budgets because most of the time Hollywood makes things with these huge budgets and then they try to sell them around the world. Um, and so that takes up space in most of the movie theaters. Um, and then everybody will go see the American movie that's the summer blockbuster, which doesn't really promote growth of a country's own internal film blockbuster market, I guess, if you think about it that way. Oh, yeah, okay, I see what you mean. Yeah, like, it's a small market for Slovenia to begin with, but then it's also coupled by the fact that most of the spots in the movie theater, most of the times that they would be playing something, it's going to be taken up by something from America anyways. Um, Is, uh, you know, if that wasn't there, then maybe there would be more of a desire to make stuff internally in the country, but... uh, Still, probably, I, I don't imagine they'd be able to hit the astronomical budgets of. Oh no, that that, that would never happen. Yeah, 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 it's all like European productions basically, and we have some like decent movies. Like the last couple of years have actually been great. Uh, actually, like uh, uh, one of the directors is like he guest uh, guest hosts, I guess, uh, some of the podcasts I do in Slovenia, and like he, he's done a bunch of movies that are actually like really good. <laughs> but yeah, the, the budgets are like nowhere near. They all they shoot them all in like a month. Maybe two months, that's that's pretty much it, you know. Uh, well, that's not actually that unusual for shooting things. Um, well, yeah, uh, and then, yeah. yeah, post basically takes probably the same amount of time, but over here, um, it's maybe like seven people work on it, and like from what you've said, it's many more. Yeah. So, okay, so, okay, can I just ask you something? Like, the, the whole blockbuster thing and stuff, and since you, like, work on uh, those kinds of movies, like, how do you see that as a, uh, you know, 
compared to the indie movies, and I'm not talking about the, the way indie movies are talked about now in America, where it just became this thing that's not really like an independent movies anymore. They're just like usually it just means low budget and a lot of crying and staring into the camera. But I mean, like, you know, like, <laughs> like I mean, those are called for your consideration Oscar movies. Um, yes, yes, <laughs> yeah. But that's basically what indie movies now these days, right? You, mm-hmm. you do like like a uh, blockbuster, and the next movie you do, you just stare into the camera a lot. But I, I mean, like, how much of that, you know? sort of clerks, you know, the original clerks production style movies are still present in America. Because I don't know, I mean, like, I, I thought the internet would sort of show me more of those. But like, I, I haven't seen that. And maybe that's partly my fault, because I haven't been looking. But like, do you guys still have stuff like that happening over there? Or it's basically just indie stuff and the Hollywood stuff? Well, in the specific example of clerks, it was a movie that was self-financed and produced and made by Kevin Smith, and then it was picked up um, yeah, by, and by distributed. Yeah, right. And so the, distrib- the distribution part's the tricky part, because it's one thing to say, like, on the internet, like, oh, well, anybody can make anything. And that's, that's true. Like, if I had the capital funding for a movie, I could go make a movie, and then I could put it on the internet. But the, the problem with just putting things on the internet is you have to take into account um, getting people to see it just having it there doesn't mean anybody's going to look at it. Um, just like with a podcast or something like that, like having a podcast on the internet does not mean someone is going to download the podcast on the internet. And so like there are independent productions that occur, but you don't usually hear about them. You, you know, sometimes you'll flip through new releases on iTunes and you'll be like, I've never heard of this one. 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 That one I've heard of, uh, and haven't seen. And you'll just be like going down the list and be like, I, I don't know why I haven't heard of any of these things. And it's because, Oh yeah, they aren't advertised at all. And as much as we like to think of advertising as like the enemy of all that is good, which I like, don't by the way, but yeah, but I mean, it's a common trope on the internet. Like, Oh, ads are the worst. Um, yeah. and it, it's like, well, you don't understand that, bad advertising is the worst but good advertising actually accomplishes quite a bit because if you don't see a movie is coming out then you're not going to go see the movie um, if you don't see a movie is available online then you're not going to go see the movie online and a lot of people would say oh well you know word of mouth will guarantee that i see it And it's like well word of mouth is really good and it'll guarantee that you see lots of things but those people still had to have seen it in order for you to see it so if you increase the number of people that see the thing then their word of mouth will also increase. It's not as clear-cut as some people would like to believe. Like, you can't just make the thing, put it on the internet, and then because it's good, people will come to it. Yeah, I think that like, like, there's a like every video on YouTube that has 12 views is a testament to that, basically. Because yeah. I think and, there was this period where you just people just thought, hey, I'm going to put some stuff on YouTube, and like everybody's going to watch, and then when those views don't rack up, yeah, that's basically it. Yeah, with, also YouTube is an interesting situation because it has consumed almost all of the internet uh, TV watching, I guess you could say, with, or the, the role that that would be, I guess, because it's either Netflix or you're watching something on iTunes or you're watching something uh, on Amazon streaming or you're watching something for free. Um, on a service like Hulu or YouTube. And as crazy fragmented as all that is uh, with YouTube, that's the one where it's the lowest barrier to entry, which also means it's the one with the most crap to wade through. And I mean that, like, respectfully, there's just a lot of stuff on there that is not relevant to what it is that you're looking for for entertainment. Um, Not because they didn't 
put their heart and soul into something, but also it's going to be there next to someone who just shot a video of their dog doing something. Like there, there's <laughs> on their iPhone or something uh, vertically. Uh, yeah. Like, and I'm not saying there needs to be like some dictatorship, like filtering what gets to go on YouTube or something like that, or what gets to be promoted on YouTube. But there's definitely, uh, s- there's definitely a needle in the haystack problem if you're going to make your movie and release it on on YouTube for consumption. That you know, how how are people going to be able to pick that out from amongst all of the other? things that are that are you know just like home movies basically the not even narrative storytelling but the five minutes that you someone pulled a funny prank on the front or someone's crazy diatribe that they have on the internet like all, all that stuff is 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 mixed in together and so it's it's very difficult to find anything artistic and vimeo used to be the place where you'd find artsier stuff and they still promote artsier things but it's not a place where people um seem to be earning money doing that so <laughs> it doesn't it doesn't i don't know how long that's going to keep going because it's it's not like you're going to see first run movies on vimeo yeah almost every vid, like internet video worthwhile is on there first yeah. i think yeah certainly like most of uh, them yeah i would say the artsier stuff is on there but it's usually like student short films and things like that yeah. um, which which are good which are fine it needs somewhere to be but then you start adding up all of the number of student short films out there. And it's like, well, if you just go to the website, you're probably just going to look at whatever they have currently promoted. You're not going to be looking at something from a year ago that might be better than whatever it is you're looking at now or might be more relevant to your personal interests because you'll have no idea that it's there. Uh, because it's just like walking into a, a movie store and it's just like you have every every movie in front of you. Remember movie stores? I don't know. Did you have, uh, were that, was, was the movie rental business big in, yes. in Slovenia? Huge. Okay. Even yeah. in Yugoslavia, people used to sort of smuggle VHS tapes and stuff. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, that wasn't part of my childhood, but like, you listen to my parents talking. Yeah. It's like, ah, oh, I just got a VHS tape of, I don't know, the first Tim Burton Batman and stuff like that. Just weird stuff. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. Uh, yeah, they're, well, they're almost all gone now. Yeah, uh. but uh, I mean, same here. So without someone sort of promoting things, without a distributor to promote things, which is usually the role of the distributor, then it's hard to pick out things that are going to be worth your time to, to watch. And you might watch something that you like well enough, but it might not be the best thing ever that you've ever seen. And uh, even if you keep watching stuff, you might not ever find the best thing ever that you'll never see. And on the opposite side of that, as the person making the thing, if you made it and then it never got anyone watching it, and then it's just sitting there online and it gets one view a month, um, I'm not sure if it's going to be as creatively fulfilling for you <laughs> as, as the person who made that to keep on making other things. Uh, but, that's putting but, it mildly. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> yeah, especially if you're relying, if you are someone who is trying to set up a situation where you are generating income off of whatever it is that you've made on the internet in order to make future income on, uh, in order to put that income back into the business, in order to reinvest that back into making more stuff. If that is your goal, then it is very hard to get that off the ground if no one watches the first thing. And so that's, you know, a pretty big problem. Uh, That's even a problem for um, uh, Hollywood. You know, you see these big budget franchise movies that come out, these huge, gigantic, opulent, uh, crazy, expensive things with explosions and everything. It's all happening. And um, they're planning on setting up a whole series of these things. If that first one doesn't get off the ground, then they're not going to keep making the rest of that. 
um, yeah. like series. Jumper and John Carter, basically, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what a failure! Yeah, that was, and it's an awful movie. No. Like, that really, like, I'm like, I, I actually watched it because mm-hmm. it was on TV here about two months ago, and just saw, I heard it was a terrible movie, and then I watched it, and it's like a, it's a terrible movie. <laughs> like I don't know how. Yeah, it's there. The very few redeeming qualities in that one. But like yeah. opulent is the word, right? Like that is the word you use to describe that. It just has everything thrown at it, and then it just doesn't sort of pan out, I guess. Yeah, and even with all of that distribution and everything, if people still don't go watch it after spending all that money, then they're not going to put more money into the next one. Um, it's yeah. just common business sense. I mean, even on a smaller scale, if you put any money into distributing your thing and you make your thing and uh, you want to make a series of it, if you're going to make a new web series or you're going to make a new podcast series, if you can't generate that sustainable income off of it, then you're not going to keep making the thing. Um, and it, that's it's pretty simple to understand um with hollywood it makes less sense sometimes because it's like things will still make uh gigantic sums of money but because they didn't make as much money as they thought it would make then it's still considered a failure (laughs) so that can be hard to understand sometimes but uh but but it's still a thing uh, that that happens like no matter how big or small your production is like if you if you're hoping to make a series of things then you have to get it off the ground uh, with the first first go, or keep investing and losing money in the thing until it gets off the ground, which is something network TV used to do. You know, I, I know you were watching uh, old episodes of Star Trek, but I don't know yep. if you've watched old episodes of Star Trek: The Next Generation. Uh, oh, I did. The first two seasons. Yeah, I know what you're gonna say. Yeah, the first two seasons are well. The first season is like ha ha ha. Should I, like the budget is not what it was in the later years. Well, actually, the crazy thing, if you think about this, is uh, they were spending, I think, about a million dollars an episode, which is a lot of money for a television show back then. And they just weren't able to do as much with the money because, you know, model work is more expensive than CG work (laughs) that you would see later on. Um, But the uh, but it mainly has to do with like the writing stuff. It just wasn't very good, but it kept it was on the air because it would still get viewers because there was such a limited number of things you could watch on TV. Uh, which yeah, is hard. Now we, that wouldn't work, right? Yeah, but, like no. you could not make that Star Trek series and get those numbers uh, today at all. Um, and you could not make your own, you know, internet video, whatever it is that you're making, and keep it going for three years until it got good at the very end and they renewed you with with the big cliffhanger ending. Uh, so yeah, I think the only loophole there is if it's critically acclaimed. Like when you see something like The Wire that never really got a, a big enough audience to justify it, I guess, uh, it got kept alive just by the sheer, you know, critical acclaim. Because well, HBO needs like a series that's sort of, you know, has the best writing, even if like seven people watch it. But HBO also had, they're in a different, a slightly different situation from, well, not slightly, very different situation from network television in that they don't have to worry about advertising. Um, well, yeah, that is true, but you know, it still has to, like, it still has to be worth it for them somehow. That's what I mean. Like, I do understand that network TV is more brutal just be- because of the advertising. And like, if you look at something like Fox, right, the Fox channel, they just cancel mm-hmm. everything. If it doesn't <laughs> like, I, th- I think those guys just have like an, an Excel spreadsheet and just some numbers, and if the show doesn't meet that number, it's gone. But like, they they cancel some of the coolest stuff ever made, just because you know, 
if they just gotten like 20,000 more people with the Nielsen box to watch, maybe it would have survived, I guess. Yeah, well, television metrics are imperfect, um, to say the least. <laughs> yeah, okay. Yeah, and, and it's, it's really messed up uh, for the kind of content that, let's say, like you or I or uh, other, I guess, you could say like uh, people who are interested in a more uh, in dense, dramatic storytelling, like... Uh, I, w- I was going to say nerds, but that doesn't sound quite right. Uh, but we tend to be nerds in that we are also the people who will have, uh, you know, personal video recording devices and uh, will be streaming things instead of watching it when it comes on TV the first time, uh, which is an important uh, metric for how things get spe- uh, how much money something gets, or we'll be buying the DVDs after the season is over, or we'll be renting the DVDs. Which used to be the thing; like everyone would rent Lost on on DVD or buy it after the series was done, and mm. then watch it all in one go. Um, and uh, even today, you know, people are uh, going to consume things in a way that. Um, is sort of like a, a big burst of energy on uh, Netflix, like just consuming all of Orange is the New Black season or all of House of Cards or whatever it is. And that doesn't necessarily translate to like year-round profit or like other stuff because they can just watch it all in that, that month. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see how Netflix can handle uh, handle that. But it, it's it's a situation where that sort of sabotages a lot of storytelling like on Fox um, where people would be turned off by episodes being shown out of order or episodes being preempted by a baseball game um, and not actually <laughs> being able to see it. it. And that happened to a lot of shows. Like Futurama was on Fox for a lot uh, for and canceled uh, and brought back and canceled. Uh, and <laughs> and you have stuff with like Family Guy, which I don't really like, but. It was brought back and canceled, brought back and canceled. Yeah, uh, I guess and, with animation, that's a lot easier. Yeah, I don't know, I don't know that, yeah. Yeah, and uh, with Firefly, which I'm sure is more what you're referencing here. But, yeah. Th- they showed yeah. the whole, I think they showed, like, the first four episodes out of order, and they, like, injected an episode at the beginning that wasn't really supposed to be there because the network didn't like the first pilot. And it, it all that sabotaged people watching it and you're just like hardcore fans who put everything back into the right order and downloaded stuff nobody generates money off of that work that the fans are doing yeah and you're only going to get like the most ardent supporters who who want that but they're not going to that's not going to keep translating into studio money yeah and if that Uh, doesn't happen it's pointless for them yeah then they won't keep investing in it. So, like, Star Trek Enterprise was getting better in its fourth season. Um, Which I never saw, because I gave up with the end of season three, because just that wasn't Star Trek at that point. But, yeah, I, I've heard that season four was way better. Yeah, it's... They... The first two seasons I watched off and on, um, because it was the only Star Trek that was out there. Yeah, uh, same thing, And... Film, yeah. and it was such a complete disappointment. Um, <laughs> from the title sequence on, man. From the title sequence on, yeah. Oh, God. The first time I saw the, the, <laughs> the opening for that show, I was like, oh, God. They, they, yeah. they, this is just going to be this first thing. Like, they're, they're not going to keep doing this. There's no way they're going to keep doing this. And then, sure uh, enough, they kept doing it for two years. And then they changed the opening title sequence for the third season. And I was like, oh, God, finally they changed it. 
they didn't really change it. Yeah, it didn't really. Yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, what are you? What are you guys? What are you guys doing? <laughs> but uh, and, and it's one of those things where even to look past how bad that title sequence is and into the rest of the episodes, like they, they just had awful writing and characters that made no sense uh, that didn't have any that weren't developed uh, even after four years. Like, tell me something about Travis Mayweather, the the helmsman. Um, oh yeah. <laughs> other, other than he's a good pilot, I mean, there's nothing you can say. It's just like, <laughs> I, I, why didn't you guys write something for him to do? Uh, and his most interesting episode was a, a fourth season episode where he was in the mirror universe, um, and they completely changed his character. Which is like, well, of course, that'd be total. That'd be way more interesting. They brought back the mirror universe. Oh, seriously, I did not know that. Um, like from the of, original series, like the Spock and Evil Spock thing. Yeah, and and in a few episodes of Deep Space Nine, they they go to the mirror universe too. Um, but I have to say that the. And it's a two-parter in the fourth season of Enterprise. And using your Beverly Hills Netflix, I would go watch it. Um, it's it's fun, but only if you're like already a fan of the Mirror Universe Star Trek stuff. Um, if you're if you're not a fan of that, uh, then I don't think it's going to do anything for you because uh, it, it it's something where they could do whatever they wanted to because um, they knew that the series was going to come to a close, basically. So yeah. the Mirror Universe has a lot of stuff in it uh, that w- they wouldn't have done in the regular timeline of events that unfold. Uh, and so okay. it's, it's more interesting. How does every podcast I do turn into a Star Trek thing? <laughs> That's awesome. No, I actually really enjoyed that, talking about it. <laughs> like, you're uh, like, I think you're like the third English person I've talked to that just it just devolved to some form of Star Trek like referencing and you know. <laughs> uh, it's not an accident because I was listening. I was uh, I had listened to your um, your Scott McNulty episode and your Jason Snell episode when they first came out, <laughs> yeah. and then I was going back and I was re-listening to parts of it in preparation for being on the podcast. And I was and of course you guys talked about Star Trek, and so here I am talking to you and I'm thinking about Star Trek. Uh, <laughs> just have it on the brain, and then the incomparable did like a big best and worst of Star Trek this yeah. weekend, and uh, so I. I was listening to that. It's it's just like having your brain immersed in Star Trek stuff is damaging. And don't do that, kids. Uh, it is also <laughs> one of the things that got me into wanting to do visual effects because I loved the model work that they did on the show back in the Next Generation days when I was a kid. Uh, and there was an episode of this program called Reading Rainbow, which I don't think Oh, Georgie LaForge thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. He, he, I don't think they distributed that in Slovenia. But, they did uh, not, yeah. It was... Uh, uh, it was an educational program for kids, um, and it would be about reading books. And he, he was the host for it. And then they had an episode where he took people behind the scenes on how they made some of the effects for the show. Oh, awesome! And so that was really interesting. Um, and uh, like the Enterprise model is actually f- filmed upside down because the saucer is so heavy they couldn't film it right side up um with the motion control cameras and they show you how they do all the different passes for lighting and then they shoot it over a, a blue screen um and then the warp nacelles actually get colored blue separately in a different process and, and so it's like all this technical detail and how the transporter effect is really just swirling water with with glitter in it and it's, it's, it's interesting it just it takes a little bit out of the magic when you say, when you say glitter and then like the transport yeah. effect i think that's it's sort of yeah but i i see what you mean <laughs> it's one of those things where back then like you took whatever you had on hand and so like when you look especially at the models and stuff you can you can see like parts of 
drugstore razor blades and and stuff that are repainted and glued on because they just used whatever they had on hand in order to make these things. It wasn't like a a digital process where you could make whatever you wanted. You had to actually build build the, the thing, thing in yeah. real life. Yeah. So how did you get into your line of work? Like, did you go to school for it, or how does that work? Oh, uh, I went to I went to an art school in uh, in Sarasota, Florida, which is just south of uh, where I grew up. Um, and it was a smallish school, and it was known for its computer animation program. And I took computer animation because initially I wanted to after liking Star Trek and all of the effects and stuff like that, I wanted to actually do uh, Pixar stuff because Pixar was really big at the time. Um, and uh, I wanted to like actually animate a character. When I was in that program, the four-year program, I started to realize that I didn't actually get as much fun out of... Because we would do every part of the process. Um, and right, I, yeah. I didn't get as much... I didn't get as many kicks out of animating as I did out of making things look a certain way. So that would include, like, dialing, like, shader attributes, like how shiny something is, or, like, how uh, glass refracts or something like that. And also, like, the lighting, where where do you place lights, like high-key lighting versus low-key lighting, um, what you know, a uh, key fill ratio is that kind of stuff. Like uh, how, how the character looks inside of the scene. I would spend more time doing that stuff and less time on the animation. And so my, <laughs> according <laughs> the program graded more heavily on the animation part. So I, 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 I was basically a B ish animator, um, and not, not going to wind up at Pixar for that. Um, <laughs> Uh, and also because we, the school at the time used this program called Maya for animation and we would use its internal rendering software, which was from the late nineties because they just had it as part of the software and never updated it. And that was an extremely limited piece of software for doing things that looked good. And so it was very difficult to make things look good. Um, and no one uses that even at the time I was in school, no one used that for actually making things Oh, okay. Uh, for film or for television or for anything, because it was so old and antiquated and didn't look good. And everyone was using RenderMan, which is the Pixar uh, render solution. The school got that after I left, so I, <laughs> if I just waited. That would have helped. But uh, nobody was going to hire me for lighting without having RenderMan experience until Sony needed me at the very last minute to come start on a movie there in a position called an associate technical director where I basically just like put stuff together um, mm-hmm. and handed it off to someone else to make things. And then I worked my way up from that point um, af- after school. So your first job job was at Sony after school, I guess. Or- yeah, my first, it was at Sony and it was on um, The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe doing that sort of assistant level work. I, I do have a few shots in the movie from when uh, Malgram the the wolf voiced for some reason by a completely inappropriate voice actor uh, gets gets run through with a sword. Um, I, worked on, I worked on some of those shots and uh, it was it was very fulfilling at the time to have something that was in a movie that I could say I did. And so I, I, I was on cloud nine and the movie might not have lived up to my hopes and <laughs> dreams, but uh, but it but it was still good to work on that. <laughs> do you still have that feeling? Like, do you still have uh, when you work on something? Forget what the the project actually turns out like. Like, but do you still have that? You know, I mean, the movie business feeling. Um, man, say yes. Just say lie to yes. me. Say yes. yes. Okay. Okay. Thank you. Yes. 
Because I need it's I, magic. It's movie magic. <laughs> it's movie. That's what I wanted to hear. Yeah. No, but see, honestly, like, because I, I imagine it gets to be like, does it get to be a job like any other at some point? Or well, I mean, in a way, it does because you are you're sitting in a cubicle uh, or some other open office workspace or in an office or something, depending on where which company you're working for, and you're on a computer and you're clicking things, uh, and there is artistry to what you're doing, but you're also showing up to work and doing stuff on a computer and replying to email and showing up to meetings and teleconferencing and all, all this other like normal business stuff. Yeah. Um, and uh, so that can kind of deflate some of the mystique of it a little bit. Like when I first started, uh, we used to have uh, film dailies um, used to be a thing where they would actually develop what the- they shot and show the rough cut, right? Yeah, and but it, it wasn't what they shot because it was all digital. So it would be they would actually develop, they would print out what we had worked on onto film, mm-hmm. and it would be developed and shown in the morning, I and mean, like bright and early. We would be sitting in a in a theater there at work, watching, hearing you know the film projector sounds and seeing the actual thing projected up on the screen. So it was it was really something at the time because that that definitely made you feel like you were working on a movie as opposed to sitting at your desk um, yeah. and clicking on things. And you don't really feel, <laughs> it doesn't feel as, uh, as, as magical. But if it, it's, it's still rewarding in many ways. So I don't know how to segue to defocus now. So you do a podcast. Yeah. Um, <laughs> well. Uh, Explain defocus. What do you <clears> intend <throat> actually do if you can? Okay, like, well, just, start, just pitch it. Just pitch the focus, basically. I'll start off with more of the history of why it even exists, and then it'll probably make more sense. Because uh, we never talked about this on Defocus, but uh, basically I got into listening to podcasts um, because of a friend of mine from high school uh, was constantly trying to get me to listen to Back to Work and Build and Analyze and Hypercritical. And so I was listening to them, and I really got into them, and I liked them. And then I was replying on Twitter to different people, as you do, about pestering different podcasters and stuff. And... <laughs> I noticed that Dan and I, uh, Dan Sturm was also talking to Merlin about back to work stuff and I like, you know, dumb jokes and stuff. And so I was like, oh, well, I'll follow this guy. Because uh, I had seen that in his Twitter bio that he's also a director slash visual effects person. So I was like, oh, okay, that sounds interesting. It sounds related to what I do. And then it turns out that we had a lot more in common and we talk about visual effects stuff. And then we wanted to make our own podcast and we didn't know what we wanted to do, which is a problem. Because then you record a lot of junk. And then <laughs> we uh, recorded a lot of junk uh, that didn't make any sense before we realized, you know, we're both basically somewhat related to films things. Like, we're both basically the same age, like, ish, and grew up with sort of the same reference materials for things. Even though we have wildly different opinions on lots of different stuff. Uh, Which I've we noticed, like, yeah. Yeah, we, we like to take apart films sort of the same way. Like, we'll he's more concerned with how something was shot and what lens was, was used than I am, but we'll take it apart and, you know, talk about it. And we found that that was a good way to have a conversation where there was a point to what it was that we were talking about. <laughs> uh, you know, like with an interview show, you can always say, well, there's a point to the whole thing because there's a guest the whole time and you're interviewing them. And then on a show where you just have two people show up every week and talk to each other over Skype, then that doesn't really make any, there's nothing really super special about that unless the conversation they're having is in some way interesting. And by having a movie you're talking about or a series of movies you're talking about, then you can have at least something to anchor the conversation so that you're not just dithering on and on and on about burritos or something. Um, that, yeah. 
And that's that sounds simple and obvious, but some people really do not see that. Like you need that skeleton. It's not just it's not enough for two people to, just to show up, right? And I, that's obvious to me. But I just you know you listen to some podcasts and you just you just you can tell there's no uh, there's nothing to hang the whole conversation on, and it gets weird soon. I think. Yeah, I mean, there's one exception I, I can definitely think of, which was uh, Bionic, which was a podcast with. Well, you know, yeah, yeah. that show. That show was the weirdest. Like, I, you know what? Um, I actually started listening to Bionic at episode three. Like, I've been wow. there from the start. Oh, yeah, yeah. And I actually get mentioned at the start of uh, 51. Because, uh, yeah, uh, uh, Queendom, right? Yeah, United yeah. Kingdom. Oh, I forgot, yeah. I forgot they mentioned you. In I yeah. Knew said, I know they said your name, but I didn't know it was in 51. Yeah, it was in 51 because yeah. uh, I had Matt on at that time, I think. And then Mike makes fun of my name, as you know, pretty much everybody does, <laughs> which yeah. we'll get to at the end, apparently. You still haven't said my name. So, uh, uh, yeah, well, yeah. that's because I said it wrong <laughs> really badly on Defocus. <laughs> After hearing your name, hearing you say your name and correct every guest that you've had on your show on how to say your name, I still said it wrong. Um, yeah. And it's not, yeah. it's not for lack of paying attention. It's just I'm clearly an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, okay, but a bionic before Queendom which had a, like a structure and stuff. And then there was whatever the hell that was after Queendom, right? So that, yeah. that, it's not really an exception. But I love that show. And it's no, a I, sad thing, but yeah. And I, I had listened to it not as early as you had. Um, I, I, I want to say it was in the th- 20s or 30s I started listening. And it was a very much a topical show about, at the time. But, and Mike would try to keep it on the rails by having the topic to discuss. And then Matt would talk about nonsense a lot. <laughs> Yeah. And go on, go on little rants and things. And slowly over time, there was sort of a mythology of these idiosyncrasies that would build up. And then by the time they got to 51 and just didn't care about the actual topic anymore, then there was already that stuff to draw on. Like, I don't think you can start a podcast at 51. Like exactly. They did, um, yeah. And have it just go over you know, go off flawlessly because they wouldn't have had the rapport with one another and they wouldn't have had the things that they've already talked about in the past, the jokes they've already made. There's still a lot of inside jokes in 51 um, and yeah. on. Uh, so that that's probably why I mentioned that as the exception to the rule. But I've listened to other things where there's not much of a structure and even on Defocus, there isn't much of a structure. Uh, so I'm sure people feel the same way about us, but it, it can be hard to listen to people talk about things uh, if there's nothing that they're talking about unless you unless you know them you know just like having a conversation or something if you're overhearing somebody talking in a starbucks like you don't care what they're talking about really um they could be talking about anything but if you know who that other person is then suddenly their conversation is going to be far more interesting to you even if they're talking about exactly the same stuff yeah you did start doing something which i really love when you have a guest on and it's like you two and another person talking about the movie they like and that 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 tension is awesome. And I told you that on Twitter. And I'm glad you're continuing to do that. This that yeah. those are my favorite episodes now. I love oh, you too. But the, when you have a guest on, those are my favorite episodes. Like, and yeah. I still haven't listened to Casey Lee's talk about uh, Collateral, which is a movie I actually like. So you so, liked yeah. the Mike Hurley one? <laughs> well, yeah, yeah but we've had two guests. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know, no. But seriously, that's yeah. like it, it makes like it 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 makes sense to like vary it like that. That's that's the thing I like because I started listening to the Casey one, right? And then I you said uh, you guys said it's gonna be about uh, uh, collateral, and I said I have to watch it 
before I uh, listened to the show. Because I've like the last time I saw that movie must have, like must be like ten years I don't know when it came out I saw it a couple of times I think because I do actually like it and Tom Cruise looks good with the uh, the gray hair yeah that's I have no idea why I just said that but he actually does look good <laughs> with the gray hair <laughs> so yeah so yeah well yeah, that just sounds even worse there's uh, uh, yeah. yeah well I was just kidding uh, but the I agree that I also like our guest episodes um, I don't. We couldn't manage to do every episode as a guest episode. Um, no, but that's fine. That gives yeah. it the structure. Right? And then mm-hmm. when it's just you two guys, you have something to hang it on. It makes yeah. way more sense like that. Seriously. Yeah. At least that's my opinion, I guess. But yeah. that's. Oh, yeah. No, I, I agree. I mean, I'm not disagreeing. <laughs> and I, I, uh, we don't want to rush into doing too many at once right now so we're trying to space them out a little bit so that they aren't like back to back to back guest episodes or something we want to talk to a wide variety of people um because it also makes the conversation more interesting and it also makes the movies that we talk about more interesting because i had not seen collateral um or scott pilgrim uh before uh mike and and casey were guests Um, that's insane but okay go on Sorry. Uh, yeah. it will, you are, you're not a yeah. nerd. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> no, I, 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 I think there's this mis- mistaken impression from um, the show that I have seen more things than I have. Uh, I, I'm, <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not a movie connoisseur. And I, I, tell, um, I told Mike this and I told Casey this. Like, We're not a film analysis critique podcast where you need to come in with a well-reasoned argument and series of notes and stuff like we we don't we don't do that um and uh uh but we do try to make it a requirement that whatever whatever it is that we discuss with a guest is something that they like because i don't want to have someone on just to be negative the entire time because i think that would uh do a disservice to them um a, a kind of a waste of their time to to just be on there and t- talk about something that they something that we don't all like together because then that would not be great and to be perfectly clear i did like collateral and i did like scott pilgrim versus the world and i wasn't making that up in order to appease a guest <laughs> or something like I, uh, uh, we would just wouldn't have done it oh i i uh, okay yeah all right like uh, to be perfectly honest uh, like uh with casey list um I don't like Firefly, and I know you That's like Firefly. Just don't. Oh, okay. Yeah, but he, so when I talked to when I asked Casey if he wanted to do it, I was I was very clear to him like I don't want to talk about Firefly on the show because I don't want to. I, I like I just don't want to like be there tearing into it, uh, oh, tearing just, into yeah. something that he likes. Uh, it just would be awful. Uh, like I'm, I'm really not that mean. <laughs> Firefly, so I can't, I, oh, okay, well, we're not going to go into that. We're going to go to the portion where I ask you about your hardware and your software, you know, which is uh-huh. my, my thing that I hang the whole conversation on, basically. Um, so, yeah, you, your hardware, Joe. Uh, okay. I have a uh, MacBook Pro that is a 15-inch model because I happen to prefer that size of MacBook. It is not the Retina because it is way too old for that. Um <laughs> It's a uh, the 2.2 uh, i7 that I think came out in 2011 or 2012. Um, it's not not new by any stretch of the imagination. It does just fine for most things because I'm not actually doing work at home 
for the most of the time. I am helping a, a former supervisor with a, a side project right now. Mm-hmm. But that's really the only time I've ever done anything at home on this machine. Most of the time, you're going to work, and they're providing machines for you. And uh, I record with a uh, just a regular old Blue Yeti. Um, no Same fancy. Here. Same here. Yeah, but I don't have the fancy boom stand and everything. Oh, okay. um, and so I have to go through setting up a complicated series of s- situated angled things in order to try to not pick up as much background noise as I could possibly pick up. <laughs> Because my apartment is apparently made of like paper mache or something. Because uh, you can hear like every street noise in the world from here, um, and I, I should uh, be more serious about this if I plan on doing this more and get like a road podcaster. Or no, don't get that mic, man. Just do not get that mic. Yeah, I heard I heard Jason it's... Snell say he didn't like it either, and he prefers the the sure uh, whatever it is over yeah. the over the Yeti. Uh, oh, I mean, sorry. Over the over the over the road podcaster. podcaster. Yeah, my yeah. one of my co-hosts has it, and it's just Jesus. The Yeti is so much better. <laughs> like, I, I like the Yeti sound when all of the conditions are perfect. Um, yeah, that is true. Yeah, yeah. It, it's it's. I just would want something that can be better when the conditions are, are <laughs> imperfect. Yeah, I don't <laughs> think you're gonna get that with the podcaster, but you know, yeah, uh, yeah, to each his own and stuff. Uh, so, okay, any phones and tablets, Joe? Oh, uh, my wonderful iPhone 4, uh, which we talked about with yeah. Mike Hurley when, I was, when he was the guest. And he, he was absolutely baffled why I have it. And I have an uh, iPad 3. Um, oh, okay. And that is the extent of my old technology um, that, I, that I lug around with me and insult the universe with by, by, by not having the latest. <laughs> Okay, so I'm going to ask you about uh, the... I'm not going to ask you about the iPhone apps because that's ridiculous because you have an iPhone 4. So uh, the, uh, the iPad stuff, like the, the stuff you, mo- uh, like you use most on the iPad software-wise. Uh, I actually don't use my iPad very much. And <laughs> even then, it, it, I can go like a week without picking it up or two weeks. And sometimes I'll pick it up and the battery's dead and I'll plug it back in. Um, <laughs> most of my time is actually spent on my phone and most of it's okay. with TweetBot. Okay, <clears throat> yeah, well... Yeah, and cause that's because... Well, you have to Almost be specific, the, the favorite button, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mo- mostly just pounding that favorite button. Um, <laughs> but uh, And then also I need to have the official Twitter app on my phone um, and on my iPad because I need a way to see if something was favorited because that's also technically part of a conversation that you're having with somebody. Uh, that might not seem totally obvious, but basically if you say something to somebody and they favorite it, that's their answer to your to your tweet. <laughs> like that's I, that, I do uh, perceive it that way. Yes, I do the same thing. Yeah, yeah, and like, or that is the end of a conversation. Like this is this is the end of the conversation. Fave. <laughs> it, it is a specific yeah. way to terminate a conversation. And so, <laughs> if I don't know that that has happened, then I might just keep rambling on, or I might reply back uh, in a way that hedges whether or not they thought a tweet joke I sent them was funny or offensive. Like, I you know. I, the having an idea of if something was favorited uh, gives you clarity um, that you don't otherwise have. But I absolutely hate the official Twitter app. It yeah, it's it's yeah. I have Android and it's the it's crappy over here too. You know. So okay, my last question, which is always the same: if you had to pick one physical thing that is not your grandmother or a person, that sounded <laughs> weird, but that's how I say it. Uh, what would that be? You might still have it. You might not have it anymore, but like something that you felt like it was made for you. 
You know, I knew you were going to ask. And then, I, did, I guess I don't know why I didn't put more thought into it. Uh, but I think my favorite thing that was made for me uh, would... <laughs> I'm drawing a total blank. I guess I would have to say um, my MacBook. But that is sort of like... Not my specific MacBook I have in front of me, but just the ability to have a Mac in front of me uh, is my favorite thing. Like, okay, I don't basically that, a portable computer. That's what you're well, saying. Well, a portable not, not just Mac. any portable computer, but a portable computer with a Mac operating system. Oh, yeah, I had oh, a yeah. MacBook before this one in 2007. It was my switch back from using Windows, um, uh-huh. and without it, I would be fiddling around with all kinds of system updates and all kinds of bullshit crap. Uh, I'm sorry. BS crap. Cut out the other thing I said. Uh, and uh, and I, I don't want to mess with that stuff. And so it just frees me up. And as cheesy as that sounds, like like yeah. not, having, not, not having to worry about like a bunch of silly things it makes me happy. And if that were to ever change in a dramatic way then this would probably be my least favorite thing in my life. Um, but it's what I uh, use for the podcast. It's what I use for writing. It's my creative outlet. Um, so that's why I like editing photos, editing video stuff. It's, it's fun. Okay. That's a legit answer. And it has Twitter. Well, yeah. Yeah. And the favorite <laughs> button, which, you know, yeah. important. Uh, Joe, jo, that's pre- pretty much it. Thank you very much for doing this. Oh, thank you, Andre. From what? Well, close enough. Close ah, enough. Close enough. Right. You see, you see, y'all just put that, like a J at the end. It's like Angers, right? But it's Angers. Angers. Yeah. Okay. That was that was pretty much. Yeah. That, that's Angers? pretty much it. Yeah. It's yeah. not okay. So it's more of like it's not the the A sound on the end, like the Angers. It's the on Angers. No, okay. see, you say A ah, at the end. You're not. Okay. You're, you're supposed to cut, cut it off at the A. So it's Angers. Angers. Okay. Perfect. <laughs>